Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is a superstar that's quite underground, but honestly, when you see the stats of her numbers of downloads, it blows your mind. Today, I'm joined by Aviva. Now, this artist is an underground phenomenon with over 2 billion global streams to date. And that's not million, that's 2 billion so far. She's just released a brand new single called Wicked, and without being cheesy, it is wicked. It's really damn good, and I fucking love it, so you should go and check that out right away. She's been on tour previously with bands like Poppy and Youngblood. She's headlined shows in America and Australia, and once all this COVID bullshit's out of the way, I know she'll be over here in Europe and the UK, and I can't wait to see her live. The interview is amazing, it gets quite deep, we talk all about songwriting, we talk about new music, a book, even the possibility of a TV series. The girl is a machine and doesn't stop and I'm so thrilled that she's joining me on today's podcast. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, I like to touch base and talk about the last episode. On episode 96, I was joined by Andre Overdell. This was a great interview and I had some fantastic feedback. I didn't realise how many people out there absolutely adore the film Troll Hunter. I knew people liked it, but I didn't realise just how many people. And it was so good to read all of your amazing comments and people that had checked out the interview. So thanks for that. But as I said, today's episode is huge. I can't wait for this. It's a great long chat where we get to talk all things music. So here's me and Aviva. So Aviva, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Perfect. So what I wanted to do is for the listeners out there is take it right back to the very start, kind of get a, a flavour of your influences growing up and how your music taste came to be what it is today. So talk to me about when you were kind of at school, what were those kind of bands that you were listening to that made you fall in love with music? Well, taking it right, right back, um, I grew up for a long time in a house I lived with my grandparents and my uncles and my mum and I had a lot of different musical influences because my uncles loved the Beatles and my grandpa loved Elvis and my grandma loves classical music. So I was listening to a wide variety and my mum loved like grunge. And so from a young age, I've always listened to a lot of different music. And then my dad listens, well, he listens to everything, but a lot of funk and soul and jazz so it's kind of it's very all over the shop but as far as music that I've consistently listened to that I can remember consistently listening to from the beginning of my memory is people like the Carpenters Karen Carpenter is one of my all-time favorite female voices I think that she's incredible and um Frank Sinatra and Kate Bush and Blondie, Debbie Harry. I would say that my favourite band of all time are the Smiths, who are English. Amazing. And um, when I was a teenager, I listened to a lot of the Smiths. Well, all of it, a lot of time was spent listening to it. And um, so that... I think you can definitely tell in my my lyrical style is like a modern kind of version in a sense of, I guess, maybe what Morrissey might have been doing if he'd been starting in yes. this world. And I guess that kind of emotional side of things influenced me. I call myself like OG emo because I identify more with the Smiths and the Cure and Joy Division style emotional in some ways than I do with the more modern stuff like the used or whatever. But yeah, Kate Bush is one of my favorite female vocalists of all time. And I think that a lot of her singing, I, the kick inside is my favorite Kate Bush album. Yeah. Hands down. It's one of my top five favorite albums ever. And a lot of how I sing was really influenced by the different female vocalists that I was listening to. I love Barbara Streisand. I love, how she was so theatrical and jazz influenced. And I trained classically for about six years because I wanted to be an opera singer. So I guess that, yeah. So I listened to a lot of classical music and I didn't like country music when I was younger, but now one of my favorite genres to listen to is country music. And I love Dolly Parton and I love like 
country pop, like new country music. So my musical taste is all over the shop, but my five probably top artists of all time would be The Smiths, um, Kate Bush, Karen Carpenter. I love Lana Del Rey as far as contemporary music goes. Yeah. And I really... I always leave the fifth spot open. I do the same thing with movies because it really yeah. rotates depending on my mood. And maybe if you ask me a specific genre, who would be my favorite person in a specific genre, I leave that fifth spot open. Yeah. Whereas those four never change. That's good. Yeah. I can, I can never get it down to five. It changes all the time. So I listen to bands and then I'll, I'll remember how much I forgot. I love Smashing Pumpkins or Jeff Buckley or Nirvana. And like, I have to go back to these and I think, how could I have le- ever left them out? But I think there's always one or two that were always cemented in. But films, I, I can't pick five. It's too hard. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think that I know what you mean about how they come back to you because yeah. I often find, I mean... I was always a big CD girl growing up. Yeah. I was born in the 90s, so we didn't have streaming then. And um, I would always be given CDs as gifts because I had a predisposition towards music, I suppose. And so I can remember CDs, but then I can only remember the art for some of these more obscure bands that I was given CDs to or that were in my parents' collection. And it's very frustrating sometimes. I'm like, I really love this song. I don't even know what it's called or who it's by, but I just know how much I loved it and must still, like if I listened again, I'd love it. But what I find, I had a conversation with a friend when I was in um, LA for one of the first times before I moved there. And we went to a bar and I don't drink um, and it was very noisy and I don't like very noisy. No. <laughs> I'm very um, reclusive. So we're there and we're trying to have a conversation and I couldn't really hear what she was saying. So I was just kind of smiling and like, yeah, it's awesome. Then she said something and I really heard it and it really hit me. And she said, I hate, and she's a few years younger than me. She's like, I hate that my life now means that I'm not listening to music like I used to. And I was like, huh? Like, sorry, can you say that again? And she said it again. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, when I was in school, I would come home and I'd listen to music for four or five hours until dinner, then listen to music and then go to bed. I was just like constantly listening to music and on the internet trying to find new music. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, that is so true. I used to go to my local library and go to the library and borrow you could borrow 10 CDs. I'd borrow 10 different CDs from 10 different sections and listen to them each twice and be like, oh, I like it. I don't like it. I like this one song, whatever. And I, I just found it interesting. It was just scratching a curiosity. Yeah. And I realized that, yeah, I didn't do that anymore either. And I wasn't finding new music. And that happened about four years ago, but it hit me and it made me feel really uncomfortable because I loved that and I love music and I love finding new music. So now I try and actively listen to, to find that spark of passion or joy that I used to feel when I discovered new music, when music was so new and it can happen with new bands. Like you listen to something brand, brand new, some new bands, I might only like one song, but it's like one song that really hits me or it could be an old act that I had never really considered. There's an Australian um, performer called John Farnham and he's very, he's very well known in Australia and around the world. And I would never have called myself a John Farnham fan. And then one of my relatives showed me a live clip of him in the eighties when he was like 20 performing a song called one. It's a very well-known song. You'd probably know one is the loneliest number. Oh yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And watching this clip of John Farnham, like, 35 years ago, I was like obsessed with it and how he sounded and how he was performing. And I'm like, this is amazing. So now it's, that's become one of my favorite songs this month. <laughs> but I love that I keep it open so I can keep experiencing that because it's a real joy to feel that excitement when you find a new great song. I, I was like you as well, and I was really heavy on CDs, and I've still never got rid of them. I've got thousands of CDs <laughs> that are just taking up way too much room. They're all on Spotify, so I could just access them at any point. 
know. there's a fine line so I used to love being a teenager and going and spending like my pocket money or the money I didn't um working part-time to go and buy the new albums by bands like Deftones and Metallica and Green Day and all these really cool bands mm-hmm. and because I spent like 12 or 13 pounds on it I would digest it so I'd get home listen to the album from start to finish because it's CD I wouldn't be just flicking through the tracks and I'd listen to the whole thing as a concept, as an album. I'd enjoy reading the lyrics inside the booklet. Even the smell of the paper as it's a new album. I used to sit yeah. there and then see everything that had gone into it, all the artwork. And it's a shame now that music's a lot more disposable because it's great that I can access my whole collection on this phone. My whole albums are all on here. But <laughs> I'm flicking through tracks. I'm letting it play shuffle. If a brand new song comes out, because I haven't really paid for it, it doesn't feel like I'm going to sit there and give it the time it deserves. So I can discover music without even leaving my house, but I don't really feel like I give the albums the time or the attention that I used to. And I miss that. I really do miss the whole idea of listening to a whole album instead of just random songs all the time. Yeah, I totally get that. Well, to me, it feels like we've lost some of the ritual around music. I mean, ritual, the word in itself means something that is religious or spiritual in some way and I think music the origins of music are all in spirituality and the history of music is quite religious although music doesn't need to be religious I think that that feeling that we get is spiritual when you listen to music when you go and see live music like you're saying the smell of the album flicking through the booklet putting a vinyl onto a record player and placing the needle down. It's all very ritualistic and it elicits particular emotions in the consumer as we are filled with that music. And I think that the ease of access to music has removed that a little bit. And like you're saying, it it can become a bit mindless. I discovered an album accidentally because I was doing my music scratching going through and now I have to do it through Spotify. So I'll look up an artist and then I'll just follow a train as my thoughts change, skipping, skipping through. And I discovered a, um, discovered a, an album that I used to love listening to. And as I was listening to it, I was walking cause I like to listen to music while I'm walking. I was listening to it and I was like, man, this is so good. And why haven't I listened to this for so long? And I realized I used to listen to it. I would be in my room and when you're a teenager, your bedroom is like a really special place to you and the act of listening to music in your room, surrounded by your things and the whole vibe. It it is, it is a ritual. And I think that I guess in response to what you said, I think we've lost some of that ritual. And that's why to me as a, a creator of art um, and a creator of music, I'm trying to create an experience and I don't know, um, how much you've seen that or noticed that, but I feel like I'm not just giving the music, like a lot of artists are just putting out music and they're kind of being like, oh, but the artwork doesn't really matter. It's about the song and there'll yes. be a new one in, in a month. For me, I'm like the artwork is connected to the lyrics, is connected to the characters in the song, is yeah. connected to the world that I'm building because it's much harder to get that ritual, that experience. So I'm providing it because... I think it's really valuable and I think it is what makes music valuable. And obviously the one thing that at the moment in this world, we're not getting to experience is live music, which is an absolute shame because I love going mm. to gigs and obviously for yourself to perform is a, as a whole different oh, yeah. uh, a, a field for you to get back into. Now, can you remember when you were kind of young and you went to see some of the first bands that made you realize like, this is what I want to do when you could see someone on stage performing those songs that you listen to on CD and how, how it impacted you. Can you remember those first sort of shows you went to? Mm. When I was very young, I didn't go to like rock or pop concerts. No. I, I never, I didn't like crowds and I was quite, I, I got quite anxious in large crowds. It was really difficult for me. Yeah. So my parents never really <clears throat> took me to those things, but I would go to a lot of classical concerts. And, and in Sydney where I grew up, there's the opera house. And I used to go there like once a month, especially with my grandma. And I would go and see different shows because I guess the vibe was a little more calm. Yeah. 
And so I think that's what inspired my love for classical music and my desire to be an opera singer. I'm a very theatrical person. Being a performer and, and everything, the way I live my life is very performative and it is just who I am. And opera to me when I was young was like performing times 100. So you'd just be watching these people on stage larger than life. When I was older in high school, I went to see Lana Del Rey and I'm a really big Lana Del Rey fan. And when I was a teenager, I was like a super fan. I was on there finding the unreleased tracks, the demos buried deep on the internet and all of that. I was like right into it. And I remember going to the concert. I went with my mom and we sat because it was a sitting venue and we were watching this concert and I was just like swept away. I knew every lyric to every song, but what moved me wasn't as much. I mean, seeing her was amazing and it was great, but seeing her made me realize how much I wanted to be there, not to be her like a lot of the other girls in the audience who were like dressed like her and obviously like looking up to her. I realized in that moment, I didn't want to be her. I wanted to be where she is to be doing what she was doing. Yeah. And that was when I kind of changed tact and I didn't want to, I was like, I want to pursue contemporary music and I want to find a band and do that. So I started trying to find a band (laughs) from that moment. And talk to me about that. So what were you doing? Were you advertising locally? Were you putting stuff out on social media? How how did it come about that you got people to kind of invest their time in a project? I was very um, known for being a musician. I used to play acoustically and poster online a lot. And I guess that when you are like that, you accumulate musical friends. Yeah. And so... I had friends, I graduated high school and I had friends that were in different years and they were starting bands. So I kind of just dabbled with different people and I started with two guys, a drummer and a guitar player that they were more interested in drinking than they were in rehearsing and writing songs. And I was like, literally not what I'm here for. So I left that. (laughs) It's a very like... It's fine. It's kind yeah. of normal and expected, but it just I, I was so no. I knew what I wanted to do, and it wasn't yeah. have a party, good time. No. So then I was working at a chocolate shop, and I became friends with one of the girls in the chocolate shop, and she played bass. And I was like, "Cool, we'll do like a two girl kind of duo thing. This will be awesome." We played a couple of times, but she wasn't super directed at that point in her life. She had kind of different things that she wanted to do. And I was like, I want to do this. I don't want a normal job. This has to work for me. It didn't work. So I was kind of dabbling and I was like, maybe I don't want a band. Maybe I just need to find a good producer to work with. Yeah. So I was going around like trying to figure out how to even find someone. And I went to a concert with my best friend at the time. And it was an Australian band called Goldfields. And at that band, we met some people and one of them ended up being Matthias, who is the other half of Aviva, I say. And we write all the music together. And now, basically, I could have done it without him because he's got a business mind and he's really focused when I start to get a bit too arty and, like, flaky and just, like, caught up in whatever I'm creating. He's like, all right. There are hours of the day. We need yeah. to fill them. Because <laughs> otherwise I can get, yeah. yeah, exactly. And just kind of angling the direction. So that was very fortuitous and lucky that we were able to meet each other at a concert and be able to go, hey, let's just write a song. And that first song was um, Reel Me In, which is what people say, oh, why don't you like your old music? And I, di- yeah. I do. I don't dislike my old music. It's just not the music that I'm doing now. Yeah. And I don't want to confuse people. So talk to me about your songwriting process now then. So obviously with all those influences you've mentioned today and favourite bands, it's such a collective mix. Um, mm-hmm without it getting too much uh, of an influence so you can be yourself and not sound like uh, the Smiths or like somebody else, how do you kind of go about writing songs for yourself? I know you said you've got a a songwriting partner now and you both sit and work together and you bounce probably ideas, but 
how does it come? How do you structure the song for you in a process? Well, the one thing that I always say is that if you want to be you and unique and the most authentically you sound, whether you're a writer or a songwriter or an artist, like a visual artist, whatever it is creative that you do, a filmmaker, the only way to get there is to wide read in inverted commas, like consume whatever your art form is as widely as you possibly can, which means that the fact that I think I have so many different influences and loves, it has actually allowed me to develop my own sound because I'm taking the emotions that I like from each of those different people and making it my own voice rather than Sometimes you can tell if people really love Dolly Parton because their music just sounds like yeah. a Dolly Parton ripoff or when people really, really love Brendan Urie because the way that they sing just sounds like Brendan Urie. Yeah. That's why I think that having a wide scope of um, consumption of art allows you to create your own voice. So for me, it's... It's, I don't know, I don't really think too much about my process. I tend to be very organic. Often, um, Matthias will just write a really basic kind of backbeat production thing and I'll just write a top line over the top of that, lyrics and a melody, and then we'll tweak the melody. We also have another um, collaborator that we work with, John Paul Fung, and we'll send it to him. He'll give his production spin. He might send back notes on the melody to tighten them. I'm really um, stringent when it comes to my lyrics. I just really don't like anybody touching them. It's very important to me. And I think that they sound the way they sound because it is just my voice. And so we've done so, so many writing sessions in LA with so many different people. And it's really interesting I don't like writing sessions very much only because I feel like there's a bit of a churn and burn attitude there at the moment. And I don't know whether that's just the culture of the music industry over there or whether it's the people that are doing songwriting don't connect with the music because they're not artists or they're not the artist. I think it is very difficult to connect with a song when you're not performing the song or you're not performing at all. I think for another artist to write for someone else, there's an element of heart or soul, for lack of a better term, that's there, that might not be there, which is no judgment. It just doesn't work for me and what I'm trying to put across, which is music that people can really connect with on a deeper level. And it's difficult as well, because if you're sitting there writing about experiences that you've gone through in your life, uh, emotions that you've felt because of certain actions and stuff, it's not easy then to sit in a room and someone else kind of add input on this when they weren't there. They didn't go through that emotion with you. They never experienced what you experienced. So it's because it's such a personal thing, songwriting and the lyrics are so much meaning to you. To have a team of, I never understand when I hear like Beyonce has a team of nine songwriters. It's like, well, did all eight of you go for the same thing as Beyonce? No, it must be really difficult when someone else is throwing in, well, let's add this line in and that line. And it's like, yeah, we're not writing a story here. I'm trying to express through music what I have experienced, you know? Well, for me, it is almost that. But going back on what you just said, I am trying to write a story. I'm trying to create a story and a world and having someone who has no comprehension of that come in and be like, let's, let's write a song about going to a party or having a breakup. I'm like, that's so not what I'm about. My songs, I always say they're, they're about friendship and the breakups that you might interpret in my songs. I'm talking about friendship breakups because to me, even in a romantic relationship, the, the thing you mourn the most is the loss of the friendship that you felt with someone. Yeah. Um, friends that I've lost in the past, I, I still get upset and think about it. Like it's hard, especially my audience. I have a lot of young fans that are seven, eight, nine, ten. They don't care about relationship stuff. And I think that there's enough content out there that's not 
catering to reality and real experience and is just catering to partying and breaking ups and drugs and sex and alcohol. Like there's enough music out there. Like I don't have any interest in contributing to that kind of pool of crap. Yeah. <laughs> if I may. Yeah. <laughs> and your approach to it all is quite independent. So obviously when I've gone on your Instagram and seen your videos and stuff, it's all that it's all yourself and um mm-hmm it's like a DIY feel to it. So it's all about you creating the story and creating everything you've talked about. And is that something that you want to sustain where it's all about yourself bringing this to light and kind of making sure that it's always you in control instead of loads of record companies coming in and telling you how to look and what you should do and your style and all this. Is it really important to you that you keep hold of that? Yes. Basically in a nutshell. Yes. We have had offers from every major label and have been flown around the world by these labels and had meetings with them and, you know, big deals. And I've been very close to some of those deals and and in the end it's just I just know that it's not right. It's I'm not saying it might not ever be right, but for me right now it's not right. I have... Yeah. A mission and a story and I don't need a man in a suit telling me what he thinks that story should be because he doesn't know me. The record labels are not adapting like they should be. They are not listening to the consumers, the listeners. They're not listening to the artists. They're not listening to their shareholders. They are listening to the past and the past doesn't exist anymore. And I mourn the past as much as everybody. There is not a day that goes by that I don't go, I wish I had a time machine and I could just experience the 50s or the 70s or the 40s. Like I would love that. I, I love music from all eras and I love culture from all eras, but I think that the record labels are just not willing to adapt. And a lot of people say Spotify is the bad guy and and Spotify ruined everything. But things change. New companies come in and it's not the company's responsibility to not exist to suit a small minority of people that don't want to do the work. There's a big shift. A lot of artists are trying to be independent. A lot of artists say they're independent and they're not. And I find that very frustrating when I know that they're not and they're saying they are because I actually am Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard work, but I don't do it all by myself. Like I said, Matthias and I run everything Aviva together and we work with brilliant people like JP and we have artists like um, Max who does the album art and Otto who draws all my characters and Lewis, who does heaps of amazing, beautiful merch designs. Like there are so many great minds, but I love that I am the one that's getting to give them, not saying I'm amazing and I'm giving them a great opportunity, but I like that I get to give them my ideas and they just take them and run and we can work collaboratively. You work with a record label and they just ship you off to whoever they want. They don't care about whether it's the right fit. So everyone on my team feels like a family. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed, and I really, really love it, is how you refer to all your fans um, with the concept of them being the outsiders. Mm. Tell me about this concept and what it does for you. Is it about the power of bringing these people together who identify as kind of outsiders and together they're now a collective? Is that how you kind of put it together? Because obviously it's a big thing. I know Lady Gaga refers to her fans as her monsters and stuff like this, but I've noticed you mm-hmm. keep referring to all your fans and hey outsiders. What what's the kind of concept behind that? It's twofold. The first part of it is I have always felt like a bit of an outsider. I used to struggle with it when I was young, when I was in primary school and when I was kind of in early high school, year seven, year eight, even year nine. I didn't like being called the quirky girl. I didn't like people always referring to how different I was and how unique I was Yeah. because when you're that age, you feel like people are judging you for it and you just want to kind of get like in with the crowd and fit in and just go with it. It's very natural to feel that way. But as I got older, I started to realize I'm never going to change. I'm not going to change. I am who I am and I love who I am. So 
I don't really care if I don't fit in. And that's when I kind of became an outsider and owned that. And that's why my whole like personal slogan is not fitting in and not wanting to fit in. And it's some people, I'm sure they're lucky enough to be born that way, but I just don't think many people are. I think the reality is a lot of people struggle with that. And even some days I think about it and I'm like, man, imagine if I was just like one of those girls that just did the stuff and didn't like be me. Yeah. What, how would things be different? But it's a stupid thing to even ponder because it's never going to happen because I am me and I'm unapologetic about it. and It's never going to change. And I just started to see a trend in my followers that there was a lot of these people that were the same adults and kids, teenagers, all ages. Like it's such a crazy spectrum of age and um, a spectrum of, gender and ethnicity and sexuality like my fan base is so vast I was like we are a lot of us outsiders and so it just kind of worked and the idea of being on the outside is a theme in a lot of my songs yeah the lyrics about being trapped outside it's it's mapped through and there is something in that that will eventually kind of people will see that there's a connection and it's conscious, but it's also subconscious a little bit. Well, it was subconscious and now I'm conscious of it. So I'm using (laughs) it artfully, I suppose. But that dichotomy of control, that idea of being in control and out of control is really intriguing to me and being on the inside or the outside. You can be trapped in either place and it just happens that we're trapped on the outside. But if you're there with other people, then you're not really trapped. No. But it, that's one side of it. And the other side of it links to my book. Yeah. And um, I can't talk any more about it because it would reveal too much. <laughs> we'll get you back in uh, one day to talk about the book once it's released. Yes, definitely. Oh, I'm so excited for people to actually experience it and start to really see some of the connections that I've been mapping out. It's very frustrating for me because I sometimes don't even know when or what is too much to say because I just know everything so much. I can't tell where the line of like spoiler alert begins and ends. (laughs) We can tease the fans that are listening right now with the fact that there's a book on its way and they'll find out more. And And there's a lot, there's a lot to know already out there and the characters are already out there doing their thing. Like they're alive and kicking. And one of your songs, um, Rabbit Hole, I knew that you had um, written for a friend that was to try and help raise awareness of mental health. Isn't it so important right now with everything that's going on in the world, but also the power of Mm. social media and depression and how people can fall into that world of not feeling popular because they've not got enough likes or they haven't had enough shares and that sort of thing. So Mm. because you're so popular on social media and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and your streams and everything, people do judge themselves on numbers now. It's, it's, it's a scary thing to do. And if you aren't feeling good about yourself and you've not got many likes, it's, it's quite, you know, you can really be quite self-damaging in the way of Mm. mentally being able to kind of accept that you're not popular or that you want to be more popular. When you wrote this song, what was your kind of ideas of trying to get that message out there and help people who might be going through the same condition or feeling the same way as your friend? I think that the... The whole concept around rabbit hole, like you said, is about that mental health and raising awareness about it. The whole idea of falling into the rabbit hole is when we get caught in that feedback loop in our own minds. And it it can be depression for some people, it's anxiety, for some people it's compulsion or addiction. Like everyone kind of experiences different things. And I think that I was just trying to, write how I see it and how I experience it myself and how I felt that my friend was communicating it to me, the way they were talking about it right. became a really clear picture. And I was like, I can see that. Cause I, I, I get that, that idea of walking, dancing with your demons, like walking through an empty underworld of demons dancing the idea of them taunting you. And, and sometimes when you're, you're going through like a mental health, Uh, moment uh, a period when your mental health is not as strong as it can be 
it can feel like you're being taunted and the demons could be exactly what you're talking about. That self-doubt, that lowered self-esteem, the idea that you're looking. And I think a lot of it does become kind of toxic, especially with social media. If you're looking at other people's accounts and comparing yourself, I mean, comparison is the killer of all creativity. It truly is. And I have not always been really good at not comparing myself. I used to be comparing myself to people and I just made a decision one day that I didn't want to do that anymore. And sometimes you, you do look at things and sometimes a little comparison's healthy and it makes you a bit competitive, but yeah, it is a slippery slope from competitive to just feeling completely crappy about where you are. And I have hundreds of thousands of followers across all my social media. And I'm really grateful to those people and I really appreciate them and everything that they are. And they are my outsiders and they are the most valuable piece of this puzzle other than my music. Um, But it hasn't always been seen that way. Like there are certain people that have been like, Oh, but you don't have a million followers on Instagram. Like, are you really that big or are you really that good? And I'm like, for starters, I'm a musician and Instagram is a visual platform. So like cool, I guess. Yeah. But it's kind of other people can be the worst part of it. Yeah. It's the other things that somebody says or somebody says, Oh, like why, why are the like, wow, you've got 10,000 people listening to your podcast or whatever. It's like, Wow. That's pretty impressive. Sometimes you can be like, awesome, 10,000 people are listening. But then when Sony's like, wow, like surprise, you're like, oh. And all of a sudden that 10,000 is not good enough because it's not 50,000 or 100,000. Yeah. And I think that is the big thing that people, you know, five likes on an Instagram post is fantastic because there are billions of people on this planet to have the attention of five of them is flipping awesome. Yeah. To have 50 people listening to a song is great. And if you keep working at it, eventually you'll get to hundreds, then thousands, then hundreds of thousands, then millions, then in billions. Like there's no point in the past that I would ever expected to have over 2 billion people having listened to my music. Over 2 billion streams of my music. I was a high school teacher. I had no comprehension that this would be a reality for me, yet here it is. And you just got to focus on the positives. One of my fans said the other day on one of my lives in a comment, like, what do you think about haters? And I'm very lucky and I don't have a lot of people that say negative comments and I don't get a lot of hate compared to what I see some artists face. And I'm like very grateful that that's the case, but there are some people that have their knickers in a twist and they have to share their opinion to me. If I don't like something, I'm just not going to say it because it kind of seems pointless, but I don't really think about it. I don't worry about what the people that don't like me think because I've got so many great people that do like me and they deserve my attention. The haters don't deserve attention. And it's just like the other people that are being successful, instead of looking at them and going, oh, I wish I had that many likes on my photo, I I would go, one, if I really cared, wow, what did they do that made them get to a point where they're getting that kind of attention, maybe, or two, eh, I'll get there or I won't. And I am being me and the more you you are, the better you're going to feel. And I've digressed a little bit from what you originally were asking about mental health. No, but it's, but it's been really positive to listen to. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like it does come back to that authenticity thing. Like if you are genuinely being yourself, it comes across. Like you're not pretending to be someone else talking to me here on this podcast. You're just being Mark and yeah, that comes across and it makes it pleasant for people to listen to. When people are trying to razzmatazz things, it just, it's off-putting. And another thing that um, I was sitting there last night with my girlfriend and we're looking at sort of the idea of your album and your branding and everything else like this. And we're coming up with some questions. And one of the things that she said to me was the use of the lowercase I in your name of Aviva, but also Mm -hmm. when you're 
doing outsiders and what does this symbolize is it about um the sense of self or what's the reason for putting in the lowercase i and obviously then also making that for the outsiders as well i guess that is kind of it it is i the i is the me yeah the self aviva is a symmetrical name it's very pleasing to look at symmetry is naturally very pleasing to humans and making the lowercase i just kind of draws attention to it and the outsider making the lowercase i i guess is just connecting the i from the aviva from me yeah into the outsiders so they i'm always there i'm always part of it they're not the outsiders and I'm a Viva on a pedestal. We are the them. outsiders. Yeah, you're with yeah. Them. And that's why I always say my outsiders, our outsider community, we are outsiders because we are all there together. I like that. <laughs> In a <laughs> nutshell. It's probably and the shortest answer I've given you. I know. It's, uh, it's a bit, uh, <laughs> I, like, I like the way that it goes and I'm liking the positivity. I like what you were saying about the numbers and, you know, it's still, sometimes I look at my numbers and I'm like, why didn't that episode do very well? Why did it not only get, you know, this many thousands? And I'm like, but actually you're right. Like to have that many people when there's so much out there and there's so much yeah. competition and so many other podcasts, even if two people listen, it's two people it's that win. time out to go, actually, I want to listen. Exactly. And that's why... <laughs> you got to celebrate every person that listens to your podcast or every person that looks at your art or every person that watches your indie film. Like yeah. every single one of those people that take their time, they matter. Everyone else that didn't doesn't matter. Don't worry about them. You can't spend time focusing on all those people because they don't care at this point and they might, but they're not going to care if you're pining after them, are they? No, yeah. they're going to care if you keep at it. They're going to go, Hey, that's caught my attention this person won't give up. That's interesting. And that's what I like. I like to see people that keep going. Like the amount of people that just kind of disappear, it's very interesting. You've got to have perseverance and grit. And I know it's easy to say, but it's not easy. And I don't think it's easy, but it's like a muscle. And if you keep working at it, it gets easier. And with the world at the moment, and it's obviously prevented you being able to tour and get out there and do all mm. the things you want to do with the album out and obviously a book coming, what's the kind of future plans when the world kind of goes a bit more normal and back to reality where you can step outside and go on a stage? Have you got plans of what you want to do? Is there, is there with this whole plan and world that you're building, what's the kind of next stages that you're allowed to talk about? I am planning right now with my um touring agents uh touring we're hoping it will be next year but we don't know but the plan is for it to be next year and that means that it will at least happen eventually to do europe and to get to the uk Amazing. and a bunch of spots around europe and i'm really hoping to get to um the kind of southeast asia slash Japan, South Korea area as well, and America, although I'm not sure where where they are at the moment, but back to America because I did a very small run in March and that was awesome and it was so beautiful to be able to meet everybody in person, Um, well, meet as many people as I could in person and so America, but definitely the UK and Europe are the first spots that I'm going to be hitting. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I'm very excited. (laughs) We can sit down and have a cup of tea and continue the interview about the book. Exactly. Hopefully the book will be out by then and we'll be able to talk about it. (laughs) And is there anything else in the pipeline? Have you got new music coming out? Even though you've got an album now, you're still writing all the time. Have you now took that album? Writing all the time. With more and do more. (laughs) We have a lot of songs ready to release and we're always writing new new ones. Like Like I always say it on my lives, like we're literally writing... Yeah. Every second day we're writing a new song. Some of them are great. Some of them are good. We only keep the great ones. But um, there is a new song coming out. It's coming out next month, I think I can say. Perfect. And I'm really excited about it. It's my favourite song at the moment of nope. my own songs. <laughs> and also, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, there's more music coming this year for sure. 
That's awesome. Just can't stop. I can't help myself. Can't stop myself. And you haven't got writer's block, which is a good thing. So no, no, I don't have time for that. No, that's a good thing. (laughs) And a question I ask every guest: It doesn't matter if you're a film director, an actor, a producer, a singer, Mm -hmm. a band. Um, There'll be a lot of people listening to this interview today that want to become a singer like yourself. Yeah. Um, Would love to have an album out. Would love to have obviously two billion streams that's the dream but we'd just love to have their album out or to get to go and travel the world playing music 100 we've kind of discussed today a little bit about the power of spotify and streaming but how we love the old-fashioned physical media but mm-hmm. what advice do you give to people that are sitting at home now listening thinking i would love to be like aviva i'd love to have a band i'd love to be able to do this what would you say to try and help those people get noticed or stand above the rest when it's such a tough world to get into it is i always answer this kind of question with the same three things the first one is whatever it is so say if you're a singer and you want to be a singer then you need to practice singing every day and you need to become the best singer you can be you might not be the best singer in the world but you need to be the best singer you can be there is not a day that goes by that i don't do vocal training even when i'm sick You have to do it every day if you're genuinely serious. The second one harks back to the first thing we talked about, which is listen widely. If you want to write music and perform music and have your album out, you need to consume music constantly, compulsively, all kinds of music. If you think of a genre, when I say what genre do you hate, that's the genre you need to listen to the most. You need to listen and find something you can appreciate in everything, even the stuff you don't like. That's how you're going to become the most unique um, version of yourself. And the third thing kind of is what I've been saying the whole time. It's all about being a version of yourself. Nothing is original. No idea is new. It is all versions of a theme. The only thing that is new and unique is you as an individual. There is no other you. There's no other me. There's no other you. So if you want to do it, and you're genuine, you'll work hard to be the best you can be, to listen to the most, to make you the most original songwriter you can be. And you'll just keep pursuing that and not try to be someone else, not try to emulate Lady Gaga, not try to sing runs like Beyonce. You will just keep working at it to be yourself because that's what people will connect with at the end of the day. And people are very smart and they can see right through it now more than ever. The razzle dazzle of the stars is not there like it used to be. Now people want to see real people and they know when they're dealing with BS. Nice. So that's it. Easy (sighs) stuff. Just become really good. (laughs) Yeah, practice loads and be yourself. Yeah, work hard and be you, which is probably the hardest thing you could possibly do sometimes. And with your success at such a young age, you must have never ever predicted the numbers you got. You know, everyone dreams, but it's 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 really hard to even get your head around. And that's me as an outsider. Never mind being you, the person that produced that music that got those billion streams. Um, but what do you do now to kind of reassess your goals or your your future? Because that might have been the goal for 10 years time and you've already achieved it. And you're now about to bring out a book, which is what most people like someone like Bruce Springsteen doesn't do until they're 50 or 60. Uh, and mm. you're doing it now. And everything is being brought forward at quite a fast rate looking now at the future and it could only be five years what's the big goals that you've got are you in a place where you want to delve into doing a movie so maybe directing or doing your own videos and directing in a completely different way and then doing other people's work or starting a record label or what is it is it literally the world your oyster and you've got as much time and chance to do everything possible I have as much desire to do everything as possible. Time is a different thing. My book is a novel. It is fiction. And I have every um, intention of making that a television series or a movie and performing in that as an actress. That is my next goal. So I'm I'm already jumping to the third one when we're still waiting for the book to come out. The music's cooking and doing its thing and there's no chance of that stopping. I am compulsively creative. I always say creativity is my lifeblood. There is nothing that I don't have plans on doing. When I get to it, I don't know. But am I working towards it? Most definitely. 
you're not giving much away, but I like the idea that maybe in a couple of years I'll see on Netflix your <laughs> adaptation from the book and a, an animated we'll series see. of all your characters. <laughs> that would be great. I'm so excited for all the things. I mean, I'm really excited for the book to come out and people to be able to sort of dive into that world. That's my current, I'm, it's a four book series. Yeah. And I'm currently writing book three of the four books. So I'm hoping that once the first book's out, there won't be too much of a delay before the, the second book comes out so people can really immerse themselves in this world. Um, if you've seen any pictures from me playing live, you'll see that I dress in the same outfit every time and that's the costume of the main character. Yeah. So the the kind of the arc of everything of Eva is this selfless world and it's this world where creativity and self-expression are the the crime and the retribution, I suppose, in a sense, they are what saves everyone and they are what condemns everyone. And it is exactly how it is in my music. It's control and the dichotomy of control and all the art that I create harks back to that concept. And so all the songwriting and the book writing, which I do every day and the plans I'm looking at, um, getting involved in the gaming world as well um, as a creator, not as a gamer per se. (laughs) I can game, but I just don't really have time. 10 hours on a joypad. So yeah, there's lots of kind of different branches and there's a couple of secret projects that one of them hopefully will be coming out in October. um, But there's lots of secret projects that I'm working on and it's just like this babushka doll that just keeps opening and then there's a new doll inside a new doll and it's like how many can fit in this one doll and yeah. i'm the doll <laughs> it's good though it's exciting it's like fresh. It's very exciting. you're never going to get bored no i i need always new things to entertain me because otherwise i get very bored i get disinterested so i have to constantly have a lot of things so i can be like okay today i'm doing this then tomorrow i'm doing that it always stays fresh and i hate staleness and that prevents things getting stale amazing it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today been great i really appreciate you having me and i've enjoyed your questions it's really been awesome i'm uh i'm feeling very inspired now i'm like i'm like right (laughs) i'm gonna go and spend the whole day creating stuff and writing a book and stuff but um you can do it in reality i've got to edit about five episodes of the podcast but um that's creative yeah in its own way yeah, it's just not as You've got to set yourself little challenges and, and have rewards. I'm a very carrot-driven person. I'm not, I'm not very driven from punishment. I need incentive and reward to motivate me to do things. But my reward will be like um, a nice cake or some bag of sweets, which isn't good. <laughs> well, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, if I do two episodes, I can have a bag of Haribo, and then I'm like, okay, that's all right. <laughs> which is always good. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Aviva and what a great guest. I absolutely loved her from start to finish and it's one of my favourite interviews. So inspiring too. I said it on the interview and I meant it. When I finished this interview I wanted to get straight on my laptop and start doing more and more podcasts. I felt so inspired and so, I don't know, she just made me feel more and more ambitious and that's the sort of guest that I always want on this podcast and I hope it did the same for you guys listening out there. As I said at the start of today's interview, Aviva is absolutely huge right now. Two billion streams worldwide and her new single is absolutely awesome. So go and check it out now on Spotify or all of the usual streaming platforms. If you're new to Mark and Me and this is the first time you listened, there's 96 other episodes waiting for you on Podomatic, Spotify, iTunes and honestly they're all free. They're always going to remain free, but if you love the podcast and want to support me, you can jump on markandme.com. On there, there's links to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and email. I promise personally to reply to every single email, tweet, Facebook comment. If you message me, I will make sure I reply. If you want the guests to know some of the feedback, which I did most recently on Joey Kramer's episode, do it. I'll forward all of it onto Aviva and pass the feedback on because the guests absolutely love reading all the positive feedback. Thanks again for checking me out. And if you really want to support the podcast, you can go onto my Patreon page. The link is on markandme.com. On there, I give amazing episode exclusives away. I do episodes early and you can support me for as little as sort of a pound a month. 
For that, you get six or seven episodes per month. That's right, two episodes a week at the moment. It's absolutely full on. You also get the opportunity to win some amazing prizes. Last month, I gave away some incredible artwork, some Blu-rays. I've given away some Funko Pops, some signed vinyls. I will do my best to get the best prizes that money can't buy for you supporting this podcast. And every single penny that you pledge on there goes right back into the podcast and allows me to go out there, do more and more interviews, which means more and more podcasts and episodes for you guys out there. Thanks again for listening today and a huge, huge thank you to Hayley from the Good As Gold group for making this interview happen, supporting Mark and me and continuously giving me the best guests out there. Thank you so much, Hayley. Thanks again to you guys out there as well for listening today, for supporting Mark and me and I'll be back in a few days time with a brand new episode. Take care, everyone, and I'll speak to you all then. Take me